Welcome to Self-Evident Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm the only one here. But that's okay, guys. This is the Self-Evident Podcast, and even if Massey is away out of town, much-needed vacation, much love to you, Massey and family. I hope you guys are having a great time. We are still going to do the Self-Evident Podcast. We are still going to get this stuff done. We are going to discover truth. We're going to find solutions, and we're going to get that stuff going. So first on the block, I want to remind you, be sure to be checking out our Facebook. We've got a lot of stuff going on. We've got the late night lives. We've pretty much got daily posts. We've got our live podcasts. Obviously, if you found us, you found us on Facebook. Also, uh, let's be sure to be getting on the YouTubes. Get on them YouTubes. And be sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, we do put our videos on there. One of the things that we're trying to do is build up viewership so that way the videos get more play. So with the YouTube algorithms, it really is based on how many views you've got, how many subscribers you have, plus the algorithms tend to swing a little bit against conservatives, but that that's okay. We are going to overcome. I really do have this belief that we can overcome all of that stuff. The cool thing is we serve a king of all creation. We serve a savior of the world. And the beautiful part is Christ can do anything for us. And I want us to start having that mentality of like, we haven't lost this war. We haven't lost all of this yet. We can still win. And we just have to step out. We've got to take courage. We've got to commit action. If you remember my late night live Back on Wednesday, I talked about courage. And one of the biggest things about courage, step forward. Go out. Make that first step. You can do it. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be a voice. We're trying to give out truth and reason, even in these unreasonable times. And we need your help. We need you guys to be sharing this stuff, giving likes, posting, commenting. Now, I apologize. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't have your comments up. Let me see if I can quick kind of pull them up onto this. Let's see. I think I've got it up. So if I do, go ahead and make some posts. Make some comments. Let's see if it shows up. Give some likes. Give some shares. So I'm waiting to see if that works. Meanwhile, I want to tell you what we're going to be covering tonight. We are going to be covering everything going on. I know. I know. You don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't really want to talk about it. But one of the things I want to do is I want to give you answers and solutions to all of this stuff because everything we're seeing is just doom and gloom and chaos. So you got to bear with me through the first start of it, and then we'll get to the good stuff. We'll get to the solutions, right? But I, I kind of want to give a framework of what's been going on in this world. It seems like – it's funny because people say – 2020 is trying to kill us. And man, it's kind of hard to disagree. 2020 has been insane. We have had everything from pandemics to famines to uh, flurries of locusts in Africa and close to the Middle East. Um, we have had murder hornets beginning their way in America. We have riots. 
we have chaos, we have disorder. And I do believe there is a spiritual connotation to that. And I'm going to get into that later about what's what I believe is kind of going on with all of this. But I wanted to start out for just a little bit of why things are spinning out of control. So first we had coronavirus, right? And so everybody... I got some stats up on the board, right? And so the USA, we see those numbers and we go, whew, America is getting hammered. One of the things you got to remember is America has done the most testing out of any other countries in the world, right? And China, China's way down on the list. Well, guess what? China really just stopped testing and stopped, well, stopped turning in the data of their testing, Nobody trusts what's coming out of China. China has billions of people. India, they're another country that has a lot more people than us, yet they still have lower numbers. People go, ah, see, America, it's a mess. Well, part of what India did was lock down their entire population to where people were starving to death in their homes. That type of lockdown. We don't want that type of lockdown. Plus the fact you got to wonder how much widespread testing there really is in India. Um, India has a larger poverty problem than we do. Uh, we Overall, we have a wealthier nation. So we had coronavirus. And all of a sudden, you had leaders come out, and they were, they were locking us down. They were saying, we've, we've got to stop the spread. We've got to stop the overwhelming of the hospitals. So we stopped the overwhelming of the hospitals. We slowed it down. New York really got close, but then it backed off and, and we were okay. Then the, the whole idea changed. And now all of a sudden, it's not we're locked down to keep the hospitals from being overwhelmed. We're locked down to stop coronavirus. And I want you to think about that. The idea soon became that we're going to stop coronavirus in its tracks. No new cases. No cases, period. Some people were even saying, we're going to keep things locked down until coronavirus is completely gone. And if you think about the flu, you think about colds, you think about SARS, Ebola, there are very few diseases and viruses that have been completely eradicated, especially without the help of vaccines. And now you, you may argue vaccines did, they didn't. That's another argument, right? But let's say vaccines helped get rid of polio, that kind of thing. So outside of that, you don't see diseases or viruses disappearing. Yet we're still telling churches in Illinois no, you can't meet until basically it's all gone, which seems a little fishy to me. Either way, the lockdowns led to massive job loss and unemployment. So I've got a, a screen for you here, right? We had uh, about 14% unemployment rate, and it's finally, it's dropped a little bit. It's gone down to, I think, like 133 and so we're, we're slowly getting unemployment under control. Now, there's plenty of people who say, eh, just wait. This, this is fishy. Although we did have a good jobs report that ended up saying that we added, I think it was something like 2 million jobs. Now, remember, we were up to 36 million unemployed. So 2.6 million, it drops it. And it's beautiful, and that's great. But we still have a long way to go. Now, in 1933... 
at, at the height of the Great Depression, the unemployment rate reached a record of 24.9. Unemployment remained above 14% for nine years. So imagine having 14% of people unemployed for nine years. It's mind-blowing. Now, I want you to remember, April's unemployment rate reached that level in just a month. We lost, what, 36 million jobs in about six weeks? That is how devastating to the economy a thing like a lockdown can be. So we had coronavirus. Coronavirus swept through. It scared everybody. It got everybody off kilter. Everybody went suddenly, I'm not completely safe, which led us to job loss. It shoved us right into massive job loss. Now all of a sudden people are going, my finances aren't safe. My health isn't safe. My finances aren't safe. I'm not safe. And that ran right up to when George Floyd was murdered. Now you have George Floyd, that situation, causing riots. It caused protests across the nation, now spreading across the globe, and that led into riots. You've had destruction and mayhem filling the streets. You remember the pictures we showed you last week? Burning buildings, tear gas, people protesting, destroying things. Build, it's a mess. And we're watching this. And meanwhile, we've got politicians in the media who are telling us either A, it's peaceful, it's peaceful. It's just a tiny little minority that's doing some damage. Or you have politicians and media saying B, it's justified. This is okay. You can go ahead and do this because we understand your anger. And man, if you're angry and you just you need to tear stuff apart, go ahead. I want to ask you, if your toddler was upset with you because you told your toddler no, or better yet, you had done something wrong to your toddler, would you then justify it by saying, okay, toddler, go ahead and rip up the house? It, your anger is justified to do this violence to our home. See that couch? Go ahead and take the kitchen knife to it. Go ahead and take markers to the walls. Go ahead, grab daddy's hammer and start smashing windows. That's fine. Go for it because you are justified in your anger because I did you wrong. I don't think a sane person in the middle of this world would, would ever do this. And Lisa says George Floyd is only an excuse for riots. It really is. It, w it was a powder keg that, that allowed them to throw the match on the boom. So you tell your toddler, go ahead and do it. Politicians and the media and our leaders are telling them this right now. Now we have the other side that's saying, no, 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 no. But I'm going to draw a thread here. I'm going to draw a connection between all of this. There was actually a New York Times op-ed from 2014 which had tried justifying riots. Now, this was back the Michael Brown stuff, Trayvon Martin. Um, uh, I don't think Eric Gardner had happened yet. Uh, and the, the guy in Baltimore, I can't remember his name offhand. He hadn't happened yet. But it was justifying it, saying, arguing that, that sometimes nonviolent protests don't do enough, so therefore you have to have a violent protest. It's a tool. It's a strategy. I want to ask you, would you look at the protesters in Michigan 
who had open carry on the state capitol grounds and say, well, they're not being heard, so maybe violence is okay for them. Some property destruction, not a, not, not a ton, but, you know, just burn down the Capitol building. Now, I'm not at all, at all saying that's the right idea. Hear me out. What I am saying is, isn't it funny that if your cause gives you a reason to be violent, in your own head, you're going to justify it? And that's what's going on right now. And it gets even worse. So I've got a, a poll here. Uh, there it is. So I've got a new poll. They had interviewed young college-educated Americans, and they're more likely to support the recent riots that have taken place. With a four-year degree, they were saying fully or partially justified, 58% of them, and acts such as burning down a police station. I want you to think about that. 58% of college students polled, right? It is a poll, so you got to keep that in mind. But 58% of college students in this poll said they thought it was justified or partially justified to riot, including burning down buildings. I want to I want to tell you about some of the stuff that's been going on. And then I've got a video actually for you. It's frustrating to watch this. So some of the stuff that's happened is there was a car lot that saw 70 vehicles stolen in a matter of a single instance. I want you to think about that. That's not one or two people, because how many cars can you drive at a time? Two? No. One. 70 people stormed this, at least 70, stormed this car lot, and, and the lot owner was saying that they were taking cars and ramming the barriers and the fences down. And then they drove off with a bunch of these vehicles, 70 vehicles. People were ransacking and burning down buildings. There was an apartment building which was burned down, and the crowd attempted to keep the emergency crews from putting the fire out, mind you, while a child was still in the apartment building. Now, thankfully, that child is safe, but I want you to think about that. Not only did the, they set the building on fire, but they tried to keep the emergency crews from putting it out. Is that justified? Are people justified in burning down not only property, but people's houses, their livelihoods? People who are, in the worldly sense, innocent in this situation? That child do anything to these people? Did that child hold racist power over those people? No. They did it because they're frustrated or worse, they don't care. And they did it just to attack, to tear the system down. And this is a theme that's going on right now that's that's really under the surface but it will bubble up every once in a while this theme of tearing down capitalism tearing down western civilization you see it all through college campuses which mind you the 58 percent all college all these college campuses will end up teaching that western civilization is evil that the original sin of racism built Western civilization. Therefore, it is corrupt to begin with. It is invalid. 
They go as far as attack the nuclear family, which BLM actually says that they want to tear apart the Western idea of the nuclear family. Now, what they go on to say is say they believe in extended families and community raising the children. I get the point, but deciding that you're going to tear, tear down the original family unit in order to try and build that is you're actually going against your argument. So your argument should be, we want to support the nuclear family with the extended family in the community. No, 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 no. What they said was get rid of this idea of the Western nuclear family to replace it with the community. Mind you, earlier in the Black Lives Matter page about us, you can go there. You can check this out. I was looking at it today. Comrade. I want you to find the word comrade. Now I want to ask you, how many... Americans use the word comrade in general conversation. How many activist groups use the word comrade in general conversation? There seems to be a select group of people who will use the word comrade when they see fit. Now, if you take that to its final course, what's going on? You're trying to tear down capitalism. You're trying to tear down the family. You're trying to tear God out of these things. I'm not going to go on that crazy conservative slant. I already know I'm a crazy conservative. But pay attention to what's being said. Because what's being said is this system as it is, this patriarchal, capitalistic, white privileged system needs to be torn down and rebuilt. That is separate from the idea of racial inequality and police brutality. They're using those things as a vehicle to get what they want in the greater scheme of things. That is exactly why Antifa and extremist anarchist groups are using the cover of these protests in order to foment violence and riots. I'm going to show you a video, and this video actually, it, it, I've watched it a couple of times and it tears me up. The Daily Wire put together a couple of highlights of what effect this stuff is actually having on people in the inner cities. You think you're tearing down white businesses, but are you really, or are you affecting other people? So I'm going to go ahead and show this to you guys. I want you to watch closely, and I want you to listen to what these people are saying. You says black lives matter. How did you say that? I've worked here part-time, plus I'm a part owner of this store. You said black lives matter. Why don't you choke me? I'm black. Tell him, sister. Look what you did to my store. Tell him, sister. Look. Tell Look him, what sister. you did to my store. Tell him, sister. Okay. That's like, I got they back. These are my Look. dudes right here. Good Look men. Look at the things you've done. Good men. Look. The black lives matter. We've been here all night cleaning up. All night cleaning. And you got black people now. standing right here with them. Black Tell people. me. Black Lives Matter. You lied. You wanted to loot the store. You needed money. Get a job like I do. Stop stealing. This is the neighborhood. We trying to build it up and you tearing it down. It's free reign. There's nobody at the checkout. But this nigga just pulled a gun out on not just me, but five other black females. And y'all sitting up here really pretending like y'all did this over black lives a black man who looks like me who should be out there protecting me just pulled a gun out on me and five other sisters so y'all tell me keep lying to yourself
me because I'm out here trying to clean up. To clean up what's mine. Y'all so pro-black that y'all anti-black. Ain't nobody gonna say nothing about that, right? That's what I worry about. When the police came here, they didn't pull out no gun on me. But my brother did. Just pulled out a gun on us. Because we're trying to stop people from coming in the parking lot. We're trying to stop people from coming in the parking lot and creating more guns. And this man just pulled a gun out on me and five other females. So now I'm in my car and I'm finna go home because at this end of the day, I feel hopeless and there's nothing that I can do. I'm picking up garbage and here goes some old black folks throwing some shit on the ground. Coming in the store, taking stuff and not, and not helping, not asking who needs something. You pulled the gun out on me. That's what you did. You stood there and you pulled the gun out and y'all out here worried about these police officers. Everybody is against us, including us. They went straight to Office Max, the dollar store, and every store over here that I go to. I have nowhere to go now. I have no way to get there because the buses aren't running. These people did this for no reason. It's not going to bring George back here. George is in a better place than we are. Last, last night, I'm going to be honest, I wish I was where George was because this is ridiculous. These people are tearing up our livelihood. You know what frustrates me the most is that because of this and because I'm a guy, because I grew up middle class, I'm told that I'm not allowed to have an opinion on this. What's worse is I'm told that I don't want these people to succeed, or I'm told I've held these people down. I'm told because of my privilege that these people are suffering. I wasn't for those riots. It was not for the smashing down of their buildings, the tearing apart of their businesses. I was not for the guns drawn on them while the looting was taking place. I was not for destroying their livelihood, the things that mattered and gave purpose in their life. In actuality, I fully support them living a productive, fruitful, promising life. I am on their side. And you can say, I'm on their side too, but, and maybe you are. But I want to ask you, if you support these riots, if you support the destruction of property, I want to ask you if you really feel you're on their side. Do you really think that you are on their side when you, when you cheer the busting out of windows and the tearing out of product and merchandise out of somebody's store? Oh, well, we just hit the rich ones. We hit the targets. People work there. What about the, the people who produce those goods? What about the people who rely on the target to work there in order to make a living, in order to come home? 
that Target can't open up the next day. Or what about the mom and pop shops downtown? I know people in downtowns of major cities, and I'm worried about their businesses because they've built them up from the ground up over the years in order to make a living for their family. And I've seen them struggle, and I've seen them have difficulties all the way. They've made so many sacrifices, and you're going to come and throw a brick through their window and tear, tear out all of their merchandise because you're supposedly mad about this situation? What's Duke? What frustrates me, and Massey and I have had a conversation about this, and I'm going to get personal. I, I'm going to get very personal on this. It gets so frustrating to be told I'm not allowed to have an opinion because of this. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. I'm not allowed to have my observation. Everything I have is because of white privilege. I'm not even going to get deep into that. But it's very frustrating when you see crap like that going on. And you're still told, no, no, you're not allowed to have an opinion. Oh, am I not? I would much rather support those people and give them something that produces and builds a fruitful, purposeful life. You guys know I talk about having a purposeful life day in and day out. I want nothing more than a person to reach their full potential. And you idiots with bricks just set them back years. Because you, you think that the white system of capitalism needs to be torn down? And that's if you have the deepest argument on this whole situation. Yet you film yourself with your iPhone and you use your laptops in order to communicate. You use Facebook and, and secure servers. You run around with your backpacks and, and your masks that you purchased online on Amazon. Use the system and then you complain about it. This has got to stop. And the worst part is, the worst part of all of this is, the leadership that we have over us is trying to make it easier for people to do this. I'm not talking about bringing in the military, bringing in the National Guard. That's a different conversation. But let's look at California, shall we? So I've, I've got something for you. Let's look at this. So California had Prop 47. I'll get to your comments in a second. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Prop 47. This was to basically decriminalize crime, especially to decriminalize theft up to $950. You know what happened? Theft rose. And I, I, I want you to go ahead and read through that. Um, Certainly, San Franciscans aren't debating whether or not crime is up. They know it is. In January, Police Chief William Scott acknowledged a 24% jump in property crimes from 2016 to 2017. What I'm going to point out is some people said, some studies said crime didn't go up. Well, guess what? If you're not convicted of a crime, it's not considered a crime. So it wasn't that crime wasn't happening which these studies were saying what they were saying was uh people weren't getting charged you see the sleight of hand 
Continuing, auto break-ins have soared in every district, and the arrest rate for them is an astonishing 1.6%. Arrest rate. So yes, crimes were not happening. You abolish all laws, crime goes to zero. Citizens are right to feel disgusted and demoralized in areas such as the Tenderloin, which is home for many of the city's low-income immigrants, impoverished senior citizens, and families with young children. Quality of life has deteriorated. Now more than ever, residents and merchants are living with a proliferation of addicts who rolled up their sleeves, inject, and then nod off on the sidewalks or career down the, careen down the street and into traffic. I want to ask you, so this was back 2017, this article? Well, it, has San Francisco gotten better or worse? They literally have poop maps to show you where the poop is. To fulfill customer demand, dealers sell packets of powder pills in plain view of passerby. There's no reason to hide. Why not shoot up whenever you want? Leave bloody syringes and piles of steel and deal when there are few, if any, consequences. So mind you, that is, uh, that's National Review. This will destroy us if we continue this attitude of criminality is okay and hold back the law-abiding citizen. I think so much of... In the end days, so in the Bible, in the New Testament, it talks about the end days and it says good will be considered evil and evil will be considered good. So on these comments, Linda, Massey Campos, Google the term Great Reset. There are organizations out there like the World Economic Forum and the IMF that are saying COVID-19 is the opportunity to reset the world. I believe this is preparing the world for the one world government. Here's what the IMF had to say. And there actually is a, a movement that never let a good crisis go to waste creates opportunity. So what you're going to see is this attempt to consolidate power. You saw it in Michigan with Whitmer. You saw it in California. You saw it in Illinois. You saw it in New York. You saw it in Virginia. People will try to grab power when they have a chance. Andrew, I agree. They could set these cities back decades now. They, absolutely, Andrew. Absolutely. It's, it's so frustrating, and I would dare to say demoralizing. Now, I told you, I'm going to get to this, the, the beauty in this situation. But I want you to think about what's going on. And listen to your politicians. I want you to listen. Listen to what they say. Are they asking for justice? Justice against crimes being committed instead of the ethereal social justice? Or are they asking for understanding and mercy? C.S. Lewis has a quote. Mercy without justice becomes unmerciful. It's one of my favorite quotes. If you know me, you know I've probably said it to you once or twice. Why? Because this idea of mercy, California, Prop 47, perfect example. If you give them mercy, if you say, okay, we're not going to charge this, you'll be okay, it's fine. And you don't have justice in that situation, you're being unmerciful to the people who suffer. It's those low-income families, those immigrants, those young families with children, impoverished senior citizens that are going to suffer first, and then it'll spread to the wealthy. You may say, well, you just want to protect your wealth. You want to protect your, your, your class, your skin color. I care more about those people in the inner city because they don't have the defenses I do. They don't have the separation. But guess what? Now it's starting to move out into the suburbs. There's reports of Philadelphia and Chicago, probably other big cities, where people are moving out into the suburbs. If you look at history and civilizations, looting, 
rioting, murders, rapes, pillaging. It's normal for human beings. We have been living in a bubble in America, in the Western civilization, Western world. We have seen our atrocities, we have seen our terror, our problems, but it does happen. And we have to understand what a sinful, wick, wicked, cursed world will do is revert back. We are decaying as a nation. Why? I'm going to get stereotypical, cliche, Christian, Anya. We're losing our morals. We're losing our foundations. We're losing our values. This stuff matters. And as we decide it doesn't matter, okay, uh, I'm going on a tangent for you. Listen, just bear with me. So there's an argument being made by atheists right now, intellectual, philosophical atheists. And I love listening to guys like Sam Harris because it gives me perspective in what's going on in their mind. But what they're arguing is you no longer need the Judeo-Christian values. They said, we've built the culture on them, but they're passe. They're, they're, we need to get rid of them. We need to build on our own values, our own system. They've given us what we need. Now we need to get rid of it. Re religion is obsolete because we have rationality. I would argue this is the exact reason you can't get rid of this stuff. Because guess what? We started getting rid of it. It actually started in the Enlightenment. The French Revolution was a bucking against not only the monarchy, but against religion itself. They were going after priests and beheading priests like crazy. They were saying, no more religion, no more religion, mind you. Then they started worshiping atheism. But the Enlightenment, the French Revolution, all of that spurred on this idea of rationality, which said the mysticism, the metaphysical, the spiritual nature of religion is no longer needed. Even Nietzsche recognized God is dead. Now, we hear that and we say, oh, bad on Nietzsche. What Nietzsche was saying was, we killed God and we have nothing to replace him. Now, Nietzsche's wrong. We have not killed God. We've told God to step back. But what we've done is tried to replace our values that we had with Judeo-Christian values, and we've got nothing for it. We are in a tense, terrible, chaotic time right now because we have forsaken this stuff. So now the hope. Where's the hope, man? What's going on? Can you be hopeful? Yes, I can. So I was actually, I was doing a Bible study today with a friend, and we were covering John 12. And 35 to 36 really hit me. I'm going to read this to you. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. Think about that. So while Jesus is there, he says, look, I'm the light. Follow me. So that you're not walking in the darkness. And he says, once I'm gone, the darkness will overtake you. But if you believe in the light and you follow the light, you will be a son of light, a.k.a. you will be able to light your path. And I talk a lot about the, in the Old Testament and the prophets and, and kind of throughout the Bible, it's sprinkled throughout this idea of drunken reeling. And actually in Revelation, I'm not going to get into this because I'm not saying this is what it's saying, but it's kind of funny in a very sad way. 
Revelation talks about Babylon and the other nature, nations drinking of Babylon's immorality and making them drunk. And right now, I see America as being drunk and reeling. And this is the idea that kind of floats through the New and Old Testament of a nation becoming drunk. They become reeling. They stumble over themselves. They, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what way is up. And in Revelation, it says the great Babylon spreads that drunkness of immorality. I'm not, I'm not saying that America is definitely the great Babylon, but I find it interesting that these riots and everything, these protests, are spreading throughout the world. When you look at 2008, the, the chaos of the stock market crash spread throughout the world. Western civilization, America's um, um, dark underbelly of capitalism spread throughout the world. Once again, I'm not saying that America is a great Babylon, but I find it interesting that our drunkenness is having an effect on the rest of the world, and we are drunk and chaotic. That's, that's the whole reason I went through all of that stuff, right? The whole reason I go through all of this stuff is because we've got so many chaotic situations. So here's where the hope is. I read you John 12, 35, 36. Christ talks about he is the light. We can follow the light. When we are sons of light, we can shine that light to the world. The beautiful part is that the world, America specifically, is itching for God. When it's dark, when it's chaotic, when it's confusion is when people are the most open to being able to hear the voice of God because they know nothing else. When you realize that the world cannot save you, you will start to turn to God because you realize nothing else can save me in this. You start to cry out the whole reason God would have his people go into exile was consequence of their choices, but to knowing that they would turn back to him. They would realize, we need you, Lord. And we as a church, the beautiful part of it is, guys, we as a church, we are in the preparation mode. So at our church, one of the things going on is we are raising up leaders. This whole vision is raising up leaders right now. And our church is being prepped and taught and, and guided and, and giving wisdom on how to raise up leaders and as you raise up leaders, those leaders go out and they spread out. And I don't, I, I have seen so much passion and devotion and drive in my own young adults. I love my young adults because they have such a heart to learn the Lord and to move out with the Lord's giftings. So what happens is they can go out to the people that are their age and are suffering under all of this oppressive thought this victimhood mentality, this, this, I am oppressed, the world is suffering, and, and it's somebody else's fault. And they can move out and share the gospel and show freedom. When the world gets more oppressed, the world gets more dark, they will see you and your freedom. They'll see your spirit. They'll see your light, and they'll go, something is different about that person. Why are they so light? Why do they have solutions to the problems that they're going through? And I love the Lord for the fact that he is guiding us in this. And it is the man that walks with the Lord who, no matter what happens to him, he can have peace as he walks along. And I want you to have that. And we can have that. Now, you may say, well, we've got politicians in place. We've got the Constitution. 
We've got we've got the free market, but we can't put our trust in Trump. We can't put our trust in capitalism. We can't put our trust in the Constitution even. Mind you, we're self-evident ministry. Hear me out on this. I have such a respect for the Constitution and what it stands for, and I have such a, a powerful value for it. But I know that it's only a piece of paper. It's just like the dollar bill in your wallet. If that dollar bill loses its value because the rest of society decides it has no value, it's useless to you. Just like the Constitution. If our leaders decide it has no value, it's got no value. So what do you put your trust in? Christ. The power of God. And our God can create miracles. And, and you will hear Massey go on with the impassioned spiritual plea with the world. That our God works miracles day in and day out. And I know he does, and I know he can continue to do so. You see riots tearing apart our cities. You see coronavirus sweeping through. You see locusts in Africa. You see famine, pillaging. But our God can overcome all of that. And I'm not saying he will create utopia. What I am saying is he can create a new person in you and you can go out and get other people saved. You can bring other people to Christ. You can teach them a better way, a fulfilling life, right? If you leave everything and you pick up your cross, you can lead a, an, an abundant life. Christ tells us this as much. It's not just an abundant life in heaven, but it's an abundant life in all things. Because suddenly you found your purpose. You've been fulfilled. You know what you're here for. I have a buddy who for so long was like, I have no purpose. I want to die. I've got no purpose. I don't know why God's keeping me here. I just want to be done. And I love this buddy so, so dearly. And it's only recently in the past couple of years that he has truly started to understand what his purpose is and why God put him here. And he has such a vigor for life now. I saw a guy who is nihilistic move to vigorous, beautiful passion for life. He knows his mission. He knows what he's called to do. And the beauty is he can go out, he could die tomorrow, and he'll know at least I was doing what I needed to do. God gave me purpose to the end days. And I want you guys to have that. So I'm, I'm going to wrap this up a little bit early, but, you know, there's only so long one person can talk. Um, especially in, in the same melody. But I want you to know that it's with Christ that you find your purpose. Find your purpose in Christ. And we need to get on our knees praying. It's a nation that prays that turns its face back towards God. And we as evangelicals, we as Christians, as believers, we cannot sit by and say, well, what else can Trump do? What else can our Constitution do? We need to elect leaders. Absolutely, those things are good. But we need to get on our knees and pray. I want you to think about how often do you actually get on your knees and pray, pray for your nation. When was the last time you fasted for your nation? The time for complaining is done. People are getting torn apart. We have people that are now kneeling before each other, prostrating themselves before each other. 
seeking an appeasement to the shame and guilt that they've been told to have. Don't prostrate yourself before your fellow man. Prostrate yourself before God. Get before God and ask for his, his forgiveness, his reconciliation. Repent to him. And then you, with your brother, who you were going to prostrate before, both of you get on your knees before God. And there was a video I saw, and I thought about putting it on, and I, I wavered about whether or not to put it on. But it was a group of white people who all need bowing before a group of black people who were still standing. Now, this group of white people were praying and asking for forgiveness of their black brethren. And then their black brethren actually got on their knees and were praying. What I, f what I did find good about the video was that both sides were looking for reconciliation with each other. That, now, the, the one problem is how many of these people actually committed true sin against their brother? That's, that's not for me to determine, but I would say more than likely, if you're willing to do that before somebody, you probably haven't, in this situation, you probably haven't committed too many sins against them because you're already sensitive to who they are as a person. You already have a passion for them. But either way, I want to see everybody getting together and going, you know what? The past is a past. I love you. Whatever wrong you have done, I forgive you. But more importantly, I'm looking for God's forgiveness for my sins. Lord, forgive us as a body. Bring us forward. That's where it is. Lord, bring us forward. We ask for your forgiveness of our sins as a nation, as a people, as an individual. Black, white, brown, whoever, standing together before the Lord, that's where you should. You shouldn't be facing towards each other. Face towards the Lord. God's the only one who matters in this whole thing. You notice after David committed sin against Bathsheba, after he committed against her husband Uriah, David didn't pray out when he finally asked for forgiveness. He didn't say, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned against Bathsheba. He said, I, I want your forgiveness because I've sinned against you alone. We've sinned against God in our sins. We've disobeyed him. Now, have we committed atrocities against each other? Absolutely. But we need to turn our face to God. And now's our chance. And the hope in that is when you do, when you reconcile, God is so good to forgive. He is so good to mend the wounds, to heal us, to put salve on our eyes. He will clothe us in righteousness. And then we can hear, we can see, we can walk with truth. I want you guys to end with that. Seek Christ on this whole thing. Get on your knees and pray for your nation. Pray for revival. These times of darkness are beautiful because it makes it so clear. I was saying before, the whole coronavirus thing, the beauty of it is, is the mask has slipped. We're under no illusions anymore where we're at as a nation. And so now's the time to be able to actually see these things with truth and move forward on it. Deborah, thank you. Appreciate it. Carol. Holy Spirit, thank you so much. Thank you. Keep praying for me.
Only against God have we sinned, Deborah. You're absolutely right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end this. Remember, guys, share it, comment. I love your comments. Thank you so much. Honestly, you know, I, I do want to end with this. It is so encouraging when when you guys tell us the effect we have. You've learned this, or you've been encouraged there, or you you've grown in this area. I'm not asking for it for validation. What I'm asking for is it gives us encouragement. So always be open, be free to let us know how we're doing. If you disagree, let us know. Let us know. We want to have a conversation with you. Massey says, I want to sit down with a cup of coffee with you. Let's go out to lunch. I'm game to. Um, but I love you guys, and I'm so thankful for your words of encouragement and thankful for your prayers, thankful that you're going out and you're spreading the gospel. So share this, comment, like, be sure to subscribe to YouTube. Remember, we are on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. We are, we are ramping up BitChute and Brighteon. Uh, we're looking out into the alternative spaces because sooner or later, YouTube and Facebook it's just not going to be there the way it is before. So, Deborah, I love these talks too. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, you can listen as many times as you want. Uh, feel free to message us, Deborah. Let's have a conversation, please, by all means. So, I love you guys. Continue praying for us. We're praying for you. We're praying for this nation, right? Let's all pray for this nation. Actually, I feel called to do that right now. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to end it out. I'm just going to close it. So if you guys would pray with me, Lord, I thank you so much for the rain that I'm hearing outside. I thank you for the fact that you give rain because rain nourishes, it waters, it, it, it grows things, it grows fruit. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would water this nation with your Holy Spirit, right? Lord, you say you are a fountain of life everlasting. And I just pray that that fountain would flow over this nation, Lord, that, that you would bring people to their knees to you, not to each other, but to you, Lord. And I just pray now, Lord, that you would spread your message, that you would spread like wire, wildfire in revival over this nation, Lord, that we would turn our faces back to you and we would hold true the values and foundations that you give us, Lord. Lord, I just pray for all these people watching, listening, the people out there who aren't. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength and courage to move forward in your conviction, that you would grow our gifts, you would expand our reach and our responsibility, Lord, that our talents would multiply. Father, I thank you so much for the beauty that you are and the fact that no matter what happens, we have you. But Lord, I pray you would stay your hand, that you would have mercy on this nation, that you would Get us sober. Keep us from being drunk and reeling, Lord. Put our eyes back on the light. Shine the light on our path as we walk forward as a nation. Heal our wounds, Lord, please. The old wounds that keep showing up year after year, decade after decade, century after century, heal those wounds, Lord. Let us see with sober eyes, open eyes, spiritual eyes to what's going on around us. Father, I thank you so much for the blessings that you give us. I thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for the fact that we have you no matter what. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name, amen.